Hey there, welcome to Acceptable Words. Uh, this is Logan Dixon. I am your host, and uh, I've got my guest today, the Reverend Ryan Lewis. He is a United Methodist pastor. Uh, before we get on with the show, just a few things that I want to get out of the way, but just by way of introduction. Uh, if you don't know, is if you haven't seen me post about it enough on social media, I have released uh, my first book, uh, Truth for uh, truth at all costs these are my sermon notes on the book of jude uh, i preached the those sermons in the fall of 2021 at my church and i talked about how uh, jude is applicable not only to our lives but to the context in which we live and uh, even in our own denominational context as cumberland presbyterians so uh, truth at all costs you can get that on amazon you can buy the ebook on lulu.com um, so be sure to grab one of those. Um, also, go like and follow my all my socials if you want to keep up with me. Uh, I'm going to have a link tree in the description. Um, and then, of course, uh, go and subscribe to uh, my substack, logandixon.substack.com. I moved all of my content from Late Night Theology over there. I moved uh, my podcast over to Substack. So everything um, everything's on Substack now. Um, all right, so now that we got that out of the way, um, Ryan, uh, you are a United Methodist Church pastor, and how long have you been serving in the UMC? So I've actually only been serving in the UMC in a pastoral uh, sense since July. Okay. Um, so I'm still quite new in the denomination. Um, I've been preaching for a little bit longer than that, obviously, um, but my this is my first appointment. Okay. Um, because we're a denomination that works off an appointment system where the bishop appoints us to churches. Okay, so you're still fairly new to this this whole pastoral thing in the uh, United Methodist Church. Yes, okay. yes, that is for sure. So uh, just, just as, as a way to lay a foundation, tell us about uh, kind of your background and tell us how you got into ministry. Yeah, so... Uh, I'm originally from upstate New York, um, and we have a lot of uh, your more high church uh, traditions up there. So you see a lot more of like the Episcopal Church. You see a lot of, you know, obviously Catholic churches, uh, the RCA, you see a lot of that type of stuff. So I ended up growing up um, in a lot of Episcopal churches. Um, and the Episcopal Church, as we all I'm sure no is a mess of its own right. Um, so when we ended up moving to Maryland, um, I ended up having some some issues, we'll just call it that, with the Episcopal Church. And I ended up leaving uh, the church completely, um, where I had walked away from the faith. I had, I had walked away from everything. Um, I would have, most people that I know would have called me an agnostic, but I probably would have really considered myself more of an atheist at that time. Um, but, uh, so, uh, what ended up happening there, um, for a long time, I, I was the guy that you hated to see when you were a Christian. Um, I was the guy wearing the pentagram t-shirts. Um, I was the guy that would that would stand there and, and debate with you about Christianity um, and realistically all all walks of faith. Uh, I then had a 
very interesting experience um, where I was truly brought to my knees. Um, and at that moment, um, that was after a whole bunch of other things that happened in that time period. Um, but I ended up going to a United Methodist church um, in the town that I was living in. And luckily, I walked into a very evangelical, very conservative United Methodist Church. Um, and interestingly enough there, uh, this is all Providence. When, when you hear this all break down the way that it broke down, um, the pastor that was serving and is still serving that church had just started there. Um, he was just appointed to that church and he was doing a sermon series on the evidences of Christianity. Um, so I came into the door of that church the very first week that he started that series. Uh, and directly after the service each week, there was uh, a study that took place. That study was for the people that needed to know more. So, of course, I was in there every single week, and I, I was asking a lot of questions. I was doing what I needed to do. Um, so all that goes through, I ended up um, giving my life over to Christ at a Sunday night service at that church. Um, a few, it was probably two to three years later, um, I'm sitting in church, uh, you know, like I did every Sunday, and I just feel a, a call to the pulpit. Um and it was one of those situations where I'm sitting there in my seat. I start to feel that call and I say, oh, no, that's wrong. No, I'm not that guy. Um, and, you know, I, I it pestered me, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, for a few weeks. And I finally brought it to my pastor. And in the most interesting thing that has ever been said to me, uh, he said, it's about time. And I looked at him. He was like, brother, I, I've known this about you from the moment you walked through the door when we had our first conversation. You just needed to get there on your own. Um, which floored me. You know, I walked through the door of that church, you know, questioning everything. Um, so that was that was something that just floored me at that moment. And uh, from that point, you know, uh, I started getting myself into leading Bible studies, stuff like that. Um, and I was starting the process and then COVID hit right when I was getting ready to start the process. Uh, and that kind of put that on halt for a while. Um, and then I actually contemplated leaving the United Methodist Church, uh, because of everything going on in the United Methodist Church. And from that point, it's just a whole big mess. And then, you know, I still ended up in the United Methodist Church is sad. I'm very bad at explaining that that situation in a whole because I feel like I need a whole bunch of time to really break down that whole scenario. Well, well, I mean that's okay because we, you know, we're not on a time schedule. So, sure, you know, the stuff that's going on in the United Methodist Church that is that is a big elephant in the room. Absolutely, and you know, there there are two kinds of people who are watching. Uh, there's people who are watching who 
um, know it's know what we're talking about. They're they're kind of in the know about all the issues surrounding same sex marriage and and all of that. And then there are people who um, they kind of know that the Methodist Church has gone liberal, but they're not really sure what's going on. So just from your vant from your vantage point, can you explain to us what exactly is going on? why it's why it's a big concern and why you thought about leaving uh, so the first main thing um what's going on uh so the united methodist church has been in a fight about uh homosexuality since basically the beginning of the denomination um we've been in this argument for about 50 years um and it's always been a, there's always been a push from the more liberal side of the church that, uh, you know, is obviously wanting to be more affirming, um, wanting to not only perform same-sex uh, marriages, but also ordination um, of uh, people within all strains of that community. Um and that's just been that's been a fight from almost the very beginning. Um, as the years progressed, um, there's been a what I would say is a lack of accountability um, when it comes to leadership, um, and that has created areas within the church. So we're we're the way that we're set up. We have different jurisdictions, different conferences, which are just smaller areas districts inside of those conferences um so there's been areas within the country where especially uh we'll say on the west coast um where you know it seems as though accountability has gone out the window um you have situations like in 2016 um we a in a bishop was elected who was who is she's still a bishop she's still a bishop a um, a lesbian who is married to another woman. Um, a complaint was filed. Um, the judicial council of the United Methodist Church said that she should not be a bishop, and she's still a bishop. So that worked out well, um, and that is something that uh, made a big rift in the church right there. Um, I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent a little bit about that, um, but uh, there. Let me let me reframe here. Um, the United Methodist Church for the last 50 years has been going in a more liberal way, um, like a lot of denominations, especially within the mainline um, in the United States. Churches like the PCUSA, churches like the Episcopalian Church. Um, and there's been a concerted push. Sorry, I'm having a complete brain fog at the moment. That's a mess. Um, yeah, no, there's just okay. a lot to it. Um, that's what's the frustrating thing about it. Um, so let me, can you restate the question so I can put my thoughts in order? I apologize. Yeah, so really, really what I'm wanting to know is... Um, why is this, I mean, I already know the answer to this question. You already know the answer to this question. I think it just needs to be said out loud. Why is this a problem? Why is it, why is it an issue for a, 
uh, a United Methodist pastor, well, really for a pastor in general, to bless a same-sex wedding? Why is it an issue for a person who identifies as homosexual, trans, or whatever to uh, get ordained? Sure. Okay, so the biggest the biggest issue there is, is of course, Scripture. Um, scripture, you know, especially when it comes to people like me and other people within the more conservative side of the Methodist church, and I would say most churches, um, say that Scripture is very clear um, about how we should uh, view homosexuality. Um, I believe that the Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church is, which is like our rule book, basically, um, is very clear on that issue as well. Um, and a lot of the issues that we see come down to a problem when it comes to scriptural authority. Um, and I think that's a big issue that you see in a majority of the churches that are starting to starting or have not already gone to a more uh, a liberal side of the church. Um, I don't know if that answers the question that you, the way that you really want it to. Um, well, no, it, it, it kind of does, because here's the deal. Uh, you and I have had conversations about this and and you and I both know Clayton Homewood and, and uh, you've I'm sure you've had conversations like this with him, you know, we all kind of agree that Scripture is the main authority here. Um, and whenever I've had this conversation with um, with our people, like the people at my church at Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church, um, the question has always been the same. You know, if Scripture explicitly says that this is wrong, if Scripture explicitly says that this is a problem, then why are we treating it like it's not a problem? Why are we treating it like it's not wrong? Uh, why are we treating it like it's like it's just a choice uh, that's that has nothing to do with how you live your life, like Coke or Pepsi or whatever? And I think I think that's a problem because, really, like you said earlier, Scripture has this has the requirement for pastors that they be above reproach, it has a requirement for pastors that they be sexually pure. Uh, and really, it has that the sexually pure part is really a requirement for for anybody. Um, so, why are we even having this conversation? And honestly, I think what it comes down to is people. And of course, I know I'm. I know this is going to sound like an oversimplification, but I think that's really what it comes down to. People have certain desires. People feel a certain way, and they think their desires are king, right? They think their desires are the chief end of what they're made for. And so if I, if I feel strongly about something, then it can't possibly be wrong. And at the end of the day, what we're dealing with is we're dealing with people who, who want to appear as loving and as accepting as possible. Um, but at the end of the day, what they're going to wind up doing is no matter what side of the road you take, you're going to wind up excluding something. I personally, I'd rather be on the side that excludes the same things and same behaviors that God excludes. Um, I had a friend one time who said that his dream was to plant and pastor an interdenominational church where, you know, people could have relatively 
tame theological disagreements but still come under one roof to worship Jesus as Lord. And we were kind of talking about the the uh, pros and cons of that. And what I told him is that, you know, you can't truly pastor an interdenominational church. And when he asked what I meant by that, like I asked him, for example, I said, what's your stance on women in ministry? Well, he believes that... Um, he believes that women can be ordained as pastors, elders, and deacons. Um, and so I said, okay, well, that's, that's your first, that that's your first issue right there. Because while I get where you're coming from and, and I agree with it, what you're going to wind up doing is you're going to wind up excluding people who don't believe that women can be ordained as elders, pastors, and deacons. And so my point was in all that was to say that, regardless of which theological, regardless of which uh, side you want to take on any given issue, you're going to wind up excluding people who disagree with you. And, and I think one of the, I think one of the most fundamental parts of this whole conversation is we want to be, we want to be affirming. We want to be open towards all kinds of people. And I, and I can remember, and I don't, and maybe it wasn't always this way. Maybe this is just how I remembered it. But I can remember back whenever someone said in the church that they wanted to be a part of an affirming church. I can remember back when the word affirming didn't mean affirming um, sexual sin. Affirming just meant, you know, affirming the fact that all people are made in the image of God and we should treat them as such. And maybe, maybe the word affirming has always been a code word for acceptance of sexually immoral behavior, and I just didn't realize it. But that's not the way it was used in everyday conversations with, with church leaders. And I, I think that's a problem that we see that uh, when it comes down to it, and I think that there's a lot more of us in the United Methodist Church that are realizing it, that a lot of the time we can be using the same language and mean two completely different things. You know, so I can stand up from from uh, my position um, and say that I affirm that people of, you know, any race, sex, you know, whatever, I can affirm their, their, um, that they are created in the image of God and that they have worth to God, right? And they can say, and people on the more liberal side can say that same exact thing, but they mean something different by it. Um, meaning in the way that, you know, I, I I think one of the best ways that I've heard it said um, is there's a difference between love and affirmation of actions. Um, and where I'm saying that in a position of saying, yes, I still love those people, but I don't affirm their actions. The other is saying that we love them and affirm their actions and they should um, have the same positions at, in the church um, when scripture very clearly teaches against it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it kind of it kind of presents a question. You know, if you know nothing, nothing right now is happening like this in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Well, I'm not going to say nothing. Um, well, I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. But what's happening in the United Methodist Church right now is that there's been a whole denominational split to the point where um, a whole new denomination is being created, the Global Methodist Church. Um, now, can you explain um, 
can you tell us a little bit about this new denomination and what it has in common with the United Methodist Church and why there needs to be a new denomination? So with the with the Global Methodist Church, um, I want to start with the the things that I like to start with the things that you'll see more in common, um, because I think especially for Methodists that may hear or watch this, that's that's a big that's a big thing there. Um, I think you'll when it comes down to it, you're going to be seeing a lot of the same things. Uh, Rob Renfro, who's a uh, pastor down in Texas, put it this way um, in a video series that he that he put out recently about this, uh, where he said to say to stay the same, we must change. Right. Um, so if you know, in our current position, the United Methodist Book of Discipline, I think, is a very solid document overall. Um, there's a couple things that obviously I'm going to disagree with, like anybody would. But the document itself that governs us is very solid. So what you're going to see in the Global Methodist Church is a book that has something like, you know, our book of doctrine and discipline within the Global Methodist Church is going to be a very similar document, um, but shrunk down with not as much legal jargon. So you're going to see a lot of the same stuff. We're going to be worshiping the same way that we always do it's not like we're going to be changing everything that we do you know what i mean um so you're gonna man i am i'm struggling today i apologize i think this cold that i'm still trying to get over is just really messing with my head um there's just like a fogginess there that's just killing me today it's okay man i understand the, re the reason that there needs to be a separation is because a lot of us feel as though we cannot continue to be part of a denomination um, that's going to have this leftward lurch to it. There are things going on within the United Methodist Church, things being said by pastors that uh, we, a lot of us just don't feel we can associate with it. Um, I, I'm not going to sit up here and call anybody specifically a, you know, a heretic. Um, but there are things that, that come close to a line. I'll say we just had our jurisdictional conferences where new bishops were elected. Um, and we had a few bishops elected that were very troubling. Um, one has said, it has said in the past, um, that, she believes that heretics should uh, run the church in the future or lead the church into the future, I should say. Um, we had another one who, from the same Western jurisdiction, um, another um, gay bishop has been elected from that jurisdiction. Um, after this jurisdiction, like I said earlier in the past, has been told that that is not within church law. Um, but they went ahead and they did it again. Um, and the most troublesome to me is a bishop that was just elected who during her interview said that we do not, as United Methodists, need to agree on who Christ is. And that one um, kind of cemented a few things in my head about where the United Methodist Church is going. Um, when we cannot, when 
somebody that has authority within the denomination can say that they do not believe it's important we agree on who Christ is. Um, I think it's clear that all idea of scriptural authority has gone out the window. And things like that are why... Yeah, no, it's 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 a troublesome thing. Yes, um, and things like that are why um, this idea of starting a new denomination has been so prevalent, especially over these last few years. Well, you know, something something similar is brewing in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Basically, we had a split between one of our largest presbyteries. Uh, the West Tennessee Presbytery had a split in it uh, between a more conservative group and a more liberal group. And as I delve into why the split happened, I think it was, I think it was more, you know, even though it was a split between conservatives and liberals, and I, and I think that the question of same-sex marriage was definitely on the table, I'm not so sure if that's really why they split. I think they split really because um, there was a lot of retired pastors um, who exercised authority in Presbyterian meetings whenever they didn't represent any congregations because they were uh, retired. And so they were the ones, and they were also, you know, old liberals who graduated from Memphis Theological Seminary who, you know, didn't really... They're old liberals who graduated from Memphis Theological Seminary who who don't really care about what the people want. They just want to push whatever agenda they were fed in seminary, you know. So they're they're like the big they're like the modern day Schleiermachers and the modern day um, um, oh I can't even think of that guy's name um, the big guy who pastored Riverside Church in New York back in the twenties can't remember his name. I, um, no, not Ironside. Well, that's not. Anyway, I'm falling over myself too, <laughs> so don't worry about it. But no, we had a split. We had a split in the uh, in the West uh, West Tennessee Presbytery over this issue, or kind of over this issue. And of course, the more conservatives went and launched uh, Cornerstone Presbytery, and the liberals that were left, because that's what they were. They're liberals. Uh, they changed West Tennessee Presbytery to uh, Mid-South Presbytery. There are some things that are rumbling and happening within my denomination. I don't know that it's going to lead to the formation of a whole other denomination or not. In a way, I kind of hope it does, because we're seeing some of the stuff that you're seeing in the United Methodist Church. Um, I, I keep telling people that that where the United Methodist Church is now is about 20 years ahead of where the Cumberland Presbyterian Church is. Because we're starting to have we're starting to have those discussions about who Jesus is, and you know what what it means to be a Christian, and we're getting terrible answers. I'll give you an example at the uh, fall meeting of the Arkansas Presbytery. It's up on the Arkansas Presbytery Facebook page. You can go watch the video of the whole presbytery. We had we accepted to uh, we voted to accept the ordination of a United Methodist Church pastor that had been filling the pulpit at a uh, Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We we basically voted to recognize his ordination, and they asked him on the floor doctrinal questions about about salvation and about who Jesus is. And uh, one one guy who's more theologically conservative, a pastor, he questioned this United Methodist pastor on the floor and said... Um, 
uh, how did how did he? I don't remember how he worded the question, but it was basically, "Where is salvation found?" Right? How did, how does one receive salvation? Now, this is like doctrinally important question, right? You can't get any more important than this question. And this United Methodist pastor looks him dead in the eye and says, "Well, I can't speak for our Muslim or Hindu brothers." But for Christians, salvation is only found in Christ. And of course, I can't say anything because I'm just a lowly candidate, right? Um, because if I could have said something, I would have stood up right. and asked everyone, why in the world are we even entertaining the notion of accepting his ordination when he can't even give a theologically orthodox answer? Um. And we, what it was is we, we voted. We voted to accept his ordination after he answered that question that way because everyone was too cowardly to say anything. We, what, see, I, I've had a suspicion for a while that we don't have many backbones left in the Arkansas Presbytery, but that situation confirmed it. And I, you know, and of course, you know, this podcast is public. Obviously, I'm not afraid of anything. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll defend every, I'll I'll defend every word I'm saying on this podcast and behind the pulpit because I'm not, I've got a backbone. I'm not afraid to stand up for orthodoxy. And one thing you hit on whenever you were talking about the situation going on in the United Methodist Church, um, was that one of the bishops who were newly elected they said that heretics should be the leaders of the church in the future, right? Right. Well, I've seen this trend. I've I've seen this trend that's been happening among more liberal pastors. Um, I don't know if you know who Brandon Robertson is, but he's a he's a uh, he's a liberal talking head on TikTok. He's a you know he's he's a pastor. I would have to look it up to be sure, but I'm pretty sure that he was actually invited and spoke at a gathering of more liberal United Methodists um, not that long ago. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I would have to look that up to be sure, but I'm pretty sure he was there as one of the speakers. I've seen this trend forming among more liberal theological talking heads where they're coming out and they're saying – they're saying, you know, I'm proud to be a liberal, or I'm not proud, I'm proud to be a liberal. I'm proud to be a heretic, and, you know, uh, heretic's not a dirty word and things like that. It's like, no, it is, man. Like, that's not how it's supposed to work. Um, and we, I was, in a, I was in a debate or a discussion um, the other day in the Cumberland Chatter, which is like the uh, private Facebook group for Cumberland Presbyterians to talk about, you know, stuff going on in the church. And I shared an old tweet from Union Theological Seminary where they were basically having a worship service to confess their sins against creation to plants. And um, I said, hey, by the way, we've got pastors in our denomination that Union Theological Seminary, that believe that Union Theological Seminary is a fine, upstanding educational institution. That should worry you. And some guy just came out of the woodwork and wrote me a book in the comment section talking about how, you know, uh, t- talking about how I was talking about him and and uh, how he doesn't want. He actually said he doesn't want to be orthodox because orthodoxy is used as a weapon to 
uh, weapon against people that Christians hate and how he was proud to be a heretical pastor. Like, that's a guy in our denomination. That's a guy that we voted to ordain to word and sacrament to represent Cumberland Presbyterians. Clayton, Clayton commented earlier, uh, well, first Clayton commented earlier and said, um, he said, y'all should just be Baptist. Um, well, you know, we're already splitting like Baptists, so whatever. Um, but then Clayton commented again and said, sounds like, sounds like it's time to abandon ship, man. Like, oh, buddy, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church needs to get, get its act together. I'll say that. Like, there's a lot more, there's a lot more things that I want to say that I can't say at the moment. Um, but the Cumberland Presbyterian Church needs to get its act together because there are people in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church who, who do stand on God's word, who do stand up for orthodoxy, and they're not afraid to, to abandon ship. They're not afraid. They're not afraid to leave the, the denomination. We've seen it before, and we'll see it again. And what's going to happen is what's going to happen is if the Cumberland Presbyterian Church doesn't straighten itself out, they're going to find themselves in another merger with the PCUSA because that we broke we broke away from the PCUSA because we didn't care for theological liberalism back in the 1700s. Um, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church was formed in, in 1810. Then later, we joined back with the PCUSA, hoping to, you know, bridge some kind of gap in the early 1900s. Well, it didn't work. It didn't work. And so, basically, uh, we merged up with the PCUSA again. Um, and they took they took churches from us. They took they took schools from us. We were left with pretty much nothing after we split from them in, in 1906 or 1911, something like that. And what, what, what people want, what the more liberal side in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church wants, is they want another merger with the PCUSA. No one has come out and said that, but the, but the behavior that they're displaying reflects that of the PCUSA. It reflects that of the United Church of Christ. It reflects that of, well, sorry, the United Methodist Church. It reflects that of the Unitarian Universalist Church. And so what we're going to do is is if, if we keep if we keep messing around, if we keep, you know, if if the men of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church keep forgetting to to bring their set of rocks to presbytery meetings, then we're going to find ourselves back with the PCUSA before we know it. Yeah, and, and the, the PCUSA, I, I stumbled across their Instagram um, for the denomination the other night and was, and was astonished at some of the things that they had posted on their, uh, on their Instagram page. Um, and I, I think the only thing saving the United Methodist Church from doing things that they're doing at the moment is the fact that we're still here at the moment. Um, I think the moment uh, that a majority of the conservatives leave, um, that all that all goes right out the window. You know, if you look at if you look at just uh, and I I think about it just because I think social media is so important at this point. I think we can all agree to that. Um, 
when you look at, say, the UMC's social media accounts, it's all very just kind of baseline. You know, you're getting a lot of Bible quotes on Instagram, stuff like that in the pictures that they're posting. Um, I think all of, not all of it, obviously, um, but a majority of that goes away the moment the conservatives really leave the church. Um, and you'll start to see the things like the PCUSA where it's just out in the open. You know, you'll have, I, I remember back in June, the, when the PCUSA, their, I guess it's their like official denomination podcast, uh, was having a, a full pride event through the entire month of June. Um, I think stuff like that is going to be happening in, in the United Methodist Church very quickly after, you know, a, I would say after 2023, the end of 2023 is when I think the full, the full swap on that type of stuff is going to start happening. Um, mainly because that's when the paragraph that we have right now for churches to disaffiliate, it has a sunset on it. And uh, the end of 2023 is when that happens. Um, and I think you'll start to see that that lurch to the left um, become a, a pretty hard uh, turn at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to I think we're going to start to see that in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, too, unless something drastically happens, because, man, it's I don't think we've seen the worst of it. I really don't think we've seen the worst of it yet. Mm. And it's and I, I wish I wish that I could convince every single Cumberland Presbyterian out there who still believes the Bible and still believes in the theology of our confession of faith that we either need to step up or step out. We cannot keep we cannot keep just sitting by and hoping things will fix itself. I think that's a place a lot of us within the United Methodist Church were at for a long time, um, is the thought that this thing would work itself out um, and it would fix itself because we continue to have the votes and the votes always go our way. Um, the Book of Discipline does not change. Um, and especially because, you know, um, we are now a, I want to say if we're not there yet, we are very close to being a U.S. minority in the church, um, where Africa would be the majority of, of the United Methodist Church, um, where, you know, those votes coming from Africa are one of the main reasons um, that the Book of Discipline has not changed yet, and we still have a more conservative stance on things like, you know, ordination and marriage. Um, I think that if that hadn't happened, we, we would have lost that vote a long time ago. Because if it was just up to the U.S., uh, the delegations would very easily vote to change the Book of Discipline in a heartbeat. Yeah, I don't remember if it was 2018 or 2019, but I remember that. I remember that general conference from the United Methodist Church because uh, me and the people from my church that I was pastoring at the time, we were we were watching that situation carefully because we had the wisdom to know that 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 that's going to be the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and one of the things I saw in that was that whenever you had conservative speakers up to the microphone to talk about you know why biblically we shouldn't allow homosexual pastors or why we shouldn't bless same-sex marriages or anything like that. Anytime you had a conservative up to the microphone, you could hear like the liberal crowd gathering in circles, singing children's hymns loudly as a way to protest. Yeah. 
it was childish. It was immature. And something that maybe something maybe I should have addressed earlier in the program is we keep using the words conservative and liberal. And I know there's a lot of people who would say, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to label myself as a conservative or as a liberal, you know, and, and really most of the people, I'm not going to say all, but most of the people I've heard say that they're just liberals in disguise. Let's just be honest. Um, I think I've heard, I think I've heard one guy who I would consider conservative say that. And I think it's because he doesn't take a literal view of Genesis one that he wants to, (laughs) you know, I don't know, but, um, but, but we're using these words because words matter and words kind of define how we, how we stand on these theological issues. Um, so it's, I mean, you've got two choices, really. If you're hearing this conversation and you think, yeah, they're throwing around, they're throwing around conservative and liberal a lot, and I don't really like that. Well, okay, I'll let you choose, man. You can either choose conservative and liberal, or you can choose biblical and wrong. Those are your options. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and uh, that's always that's become a a big fight fight with us. Um, you know, uh, I've heard from a few different places that um, since we're using the term conservative, um, everybody just thinks we're like basically the Trump wing of the Methodist church, uh, um, which is just a, a, a crazy, crazy thing. That's why a lot of um, more of the leaders, I think, have started using the term traditional or traditionalist um, when talking about this because they just don't want to have that conversation anymore. Um, because I think, you know, when you look at it, it, politics has infected so much of everything in our lives every day that, you know, just using the word conservative, even when you're talking about church or theology in general, you know, it's automatically thrown in with a, a political theory that, you know, maybe you are, you know, conservative politically, but that has nothing to do with your theology, you know? Um, and you know, I would make the argument for a lot of people, you know, if you're conservative with your theology, I think a lot more of your politics are probably going to lean more conservative anyway, but that's another conversation for another day. But yeah, I I think that, you know, I, I would agree with you that, you know, if you're not going to use conservative and liberal or conservative or progressive, you know, you're, you're going to be talking about biblical and wrong once you get to a certain point for sure. You know, right. And I, I think that I think that that's really I think that's really the issue, because, you know, you mentioned that a lot of those on the progressive side, they want to point out to those on the conservative side and say, oh, you're using conservative because, you know, you're just Trump supporters or whatever. I think that's like I think whenever they start doing that, that's like the less the last weapon in their arsenal, because I think if they're being intellectually honest which I, which I know is a stretch for some of them, but I think if they're trying to be intellectually honest, then they know good and well that this has nothing to do with, with support for Trump or not. Because I'll just say it at this point, I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm right there with you on that. But that, you know, but that has nothing to do with my stance on biblical issues. Yeah, it has nothing to stand, it has nothing to do with my stance on, on biblical issues. It's like, man, I'm reading the Bible and I'm I'm seeing what the Bible says about homosexuality, and I'm seeing that the Bible presents homosexuality as a symptom of a greater problem 
of someone who is unrepentant, someone who is rebellious against God. Um, and what we're doing is we are allowing people who in their hearts and minds are rebellious and re- and unrepentant to be in leadership and and take charge as a shepherd over sheep. And that's a problem, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely... I would definitely agree there. You know, I, I think we've gotten to a point where, and, you know, I, I think, like I was saying, where I think church, you know, has been, even church has been affected by politics. I think that even goes into, you know, the leadership of of the churches. It's such a, a uh, almost political fist fight at this point um, where everybody just, Everybody has to be right, even if they know they don't have the evidence to back it, if that makes sense of what I'm trying to say there. Um, you know, you, you'll hear the you'll hear the the basic arguments that, you know, we've been hearing for for years and years about all these issues that have been disproven so many times that it's hard to keep track of it. And, you know, it, it's just why do we want to consistently stand by and fight this out all the time? There, there needs to be a point. Even Jesus says there's a point where you knock the dust off your sandals and walk away. Absolutely. I tend to laugh at our SBC pastor friends because a lot of them think that they're conservatives in a leftward leaning denomination. I wish we were as conservative as the SBC on some issues. Like, I wish we were having those conversations. I wish we were fighting those battles. Um, Because I I think SBC pastors don't really understand what a gift they have. Because if they really don't like the SBC, if they really don't like what's going on in the SBC, they can just pack up their junk and leave, and it's not going to affect anybody, right? Um, Which is why I don't understand why the whole conservative Baptist network started. I don't understand why the conservative Baptist network started because the conservative Baptist network was a bunch of SBC pastors who got together and said, we don't like the SBC, but we're staying anyway. And it's like, you're an, you are autonomous, right? You, you pastor autonomous churches. You can leave. You do realize you can leave, right? You can actually make this whole conservative Baptist network thing, another denomination. And it's like, they don't want to do that. They just want to stay and fight. It's like, man, if you understood the blessing that you if you understood the blessing that you have, well, I don't know why you would just want to stay and fight when you could have uh, fellowship with each other, leave everybody alone. Clayton commented and he said those people are nothing. He, I think he meant nothing but bullies. Yes, uh, I I completely and fully agree that the conservative Baptist network is is just a bunch of bullies. I will say this. I think SBC pastors and churches have a distinct advantage over, well, they, they've got an advantage over over Cumberland Presbyterians in a couple ways. Their, their advantage is that if they don't like the SBC, they can just vote to leave and it's not a problem. Um, and, they, and, and, and both parties can move on with their lives and no one's affected either way. Um, and the second advantage they have over Cumberland Presbyterians is that they can just ordain pastors in their local churches, you know, and the SBC is not going to care if Podunk First Baptist Church ordains a guy who is faithful in ministry, uh, faithful in his knowledge of the word, faithful in his exposition of scripture, 
but has never been to six years of some neoliberal seminary, right? Um, so they, the SBC, with all of its flaws, and there are plenty, have a distinct advantage over Cumberland Presbyterians and really, I think, United Methodists in that way. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, w- I would say I, I would have to agree with you that I wish that we were having some of the arguments that the SBC was having. You know, I feel like life would just be a, a whole lot easier if that were the case. You know, some of those argue- issues that they're arguing about are, of course, you know, very important. But I think that, you know, it, overall, it would be a lot better overall. Um, but I would say that uh, I think that leads into where where you mentioned groups like uh, the conservative Baptist network where um, I think that we as human beings just love our institutions so much um, that it's hard for us to just kind of walk away like that. Um, You know, I've noticed it a lot in talking to different United Methodists about everything that we have going on that, you know, we, we are United Methodists and we love the United Methodist church And it's, you know, it is a lot of, so like there's people in my church that were, you know, part of the Methodist church before the United Methodist church came to be, you know, and just the thought of stepping away from that institution that you've been in your entire life, that it's all, you know, it's just, it's, it's scary thought, you know, it's a scary thought for me. And I'm sure, you know, whatever happens with you guys in the future, it will be a scary thought to a lot of your people as well. You know, it's just this unknown type of deal, you know, and we have the same type of issues that um, I know that you guys have where there's trusts on buildings and things like that. So it creates a whole nother, uh, a whole nother hurdle if somebody does want to walk away from the denomination. Um, and, you know, same type of deal with, you know, our style of ordination where, you know, you there's approved seminaries that, you know, you have to go to. Schools like Duke are on that list. And, uh, you know, uh, all it takes is a few minutes of Google searching to see where Duke has gone. Um, because that's a mess in its own right. Um, where I don't know if we're if we have a similar thing. Somebody like me, I, I'm licensed. I'm not fully ordained within the United Methodist Church. Um, I'm a licensed pastor. Um, now that can work its way into full-blown ordination, but there's a whole complicated process that goes on there in its own right. Yeah, and Clayton also pointed out, yeah, it's because we because we don't own the buildings, um, and I think that's a big issue too. You mentioned the trusts that that each of our denominations have. Um, I I think to some degree it's a power move, in my opinion. To some degree, it's a power move because. You know, they can they can try to drudge up history and say we don't want happening what happened with the PCUSA where they took our churches and took our colleges. They can they can bring up that history if they want to. But the issue is if a local church body has said, you know, we want to operate outside of the bounds of this denomination, then and most of the church body is in agreement that they don't want to, it's like, why don't you just let them go? Because What's going to happen is if you really irritate them enough, they're just going to leave and you're not going to have people. You're just going to have an empty church building. And what it, and, and what it comes down to is I think denominations that have these, I think the denominations who have these trust systems 
whether they want to admit it or not, what they're really saying is they value the money. They value the monetary value of the property more than the people. And the people aren't going to leave because they're, they're afraid that there's going to be this legal battle over the church, over the church building, when there doesn't need to be. It's like, listen to the voice of your people. Listen to the voice of your people and, and let them go their own way. Um, because, you know, this, this is just going to open up a whole can of worms, man. Um, but it's conversations that we need to have. It's conversations that need to be taking place because no one else is talking about this stuff from, from our vantage point. It's like all, all we're getting fed is all we're getting fed is nonsense from, from the left about, you know, how we just need to be more loving, opening, uh, you know, open-minded and accepting. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, man, but you're, you're so close-minded. You don't even value the authority of Paul because allegedly, allegedly he hated women, right? And so what you're doing is you're you're ripping out parts of Scripture all for the sake of being loving and inclusive. Like, you don't even know who Jesus is. You're having a conversation for, um, you're, you're, you're having a conversation where you're saying that it doesn't matter if we agree on who Jesus is. And then you're trying to use his words authoritatively. It's like, man, that is, that's some dangerous ground right there. But... This is this is an uh, this is a conversation that I think needs to keep happening. Yeah. You know, the only way it's going to happen is if you, is if guys like you and me and and Clayton who's watching and commenting if is if we actually just, you know, take our stand, have a voice, you know, pastor our people in such a way that they trust God more than denominational institutions. Well, um we 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 have been at this for about an hour man. Is there anything left to be said on this issue that we haven't said yet? I'm I'm sure there is. I mean, there always is for sure. I I, I think I would have to agree with you that, you know, um especially, you know, pastors in more um in any denomination, um realistically um, you know, we just need to pastor. We need to preach in a way that shows our people that, you know, our, 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 our hope is not in a denomination, right? I, I just preached on hope, uh, last Sunday, um, where, when we started Advent and, you know, I, I ended with something very similar to that, that our hope is not in our denomination. Our hope is not in anything of this world, Right. Our, our people's hope realistically at the end of the day shouldn't even be be in us because at the end of the day we're you know we're gonna let them down you know um and we need to realize that you're we need to preach in a way that lets our people know that you know your hope is to be in jesus right absolutely and as long as you have your hope in jesus as long as you have your trust in christ that all of this is going to work out all this denominational stuff at the end of the day, it's not going to matter in the kingdom. Right. But, you know, still to that point, we need to have our standards of the way that we do church. Sure. And I think, I think that much is plain, you know, because there's an honoring way and there's a dishonoring way. I think if you press people on it, they'll say, yeah, there's standards, but we can, you know, but we can be flexible with the standards and you and it's like if you're if you're flexible with the standards, like how flexible are you going to be with the standards because eventually 
if you're if you're really flexible with the standards, you're just not going to have any at all. It's like that's what makes them standards. But yeah, man, I think you're absolutely right. right. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is not in a denominational institution, and I think that is a fantastic note to end on. Guys, those of you who have been watching, Clayton, of course, uh, thank you for joining us for this episode of Acceptable Words. Um, thank you for tuning in. Um, if there has been a lot of lag on the video, if you've not been able to uh, completely see the video or completely hear the audio very well, um, that's okay. Just tune in on Monday, and you can hear the podcast feed on Spotify or Google Podcasts. Um, I'm I'm trying my best to work out a system where we don't experience this much lag and this much issue whenever we try to do a live show. Um, so, guys, thank you for... Uh, supporting the Acceptable Words podcast. Again, go follow all my socials, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all that good stuff, TikTok. Man, thank you for being on here, and I, and I hope to have you on again at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. Hopefully I'll feel a little bit better next time so I won't be all cloudy in my head when I'm trying to explain things. <laughs> yes, and ho hopefully I'll have better internet and better equipment. <laughs> so It'll all work out. <laughs> So, guys, yep, guys, thank you for joining us and join us again next week on Acceptable Words. <laughs>